podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Welcome back to Tennis Unfiltered with me, James Gray, uh, live from Melbourne. Uh, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by the elusive Calvin Betton and uh, the even more elusive Henry Patton. Uh, it's raining on Kids Day and therefore I apologise for background noise of either rain on the roof of the Kia Arena or in fact uh, just children running around, which I know brings joy to Calvin's heart. So uh, he was desperate not to come on site at all for Kids Day, but we've we forced him in. Um, Calvin, when we spoke the other day, Melbourne was still growing on you. Has it grown any more? Um, well, the food is very good. I've, I've just acknowledged that it might have the best food in the, of all the slams because I just had some very nice yellowfin tuna, um, which you don't get at any of the other slams. So, yeah, the food is, is very good. I, I like the place. Everyone thinks I hate the place. I don't. I just don't think it's as good as New York. <laughs> Henry, you're, you're second time here, right? So, I mean... Has this always been your favourite of the slams, or, or is that you know is it still up there with New York for you? Well, I haven't played many of the slams, um, but I was certainly very impressed last year when I came and played, and told Calvin that that it was very impressive, and the fact that he's even thinking about changing his mind on anything, I think, is a sign that it's it's pretty good here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Calvin, uh, as as regular listeners know, not not quick to change mind on anything. Uh, I'm usually right. That's what. <laughs> I have a mate who famously at uni once said, look, I don't like to say I'm right, but I'm not often wrong. And I think probably Calvin is, is pretty similar. Um, I guess one of the things, and, and I've heard it from players, I've heard it from Jody Burridge, I've heard it from various other people. I mean, practice courts have been hard to come by, right? Like you guys have been training. I mean, just tell me a bit about Albert Reserve. I mean, what's it like as a practice facility? Yeah, it's pretty good. They've actually improved it from last year. So uh, they've put a kind of full-size gym in there. Um, and I think all things considered, it's been a nice club. We, this year, we haven't had any issues at all practicing on there, saying that uh, obviously the main draw starts tomorrow. So uh, I think we've got one hour on there tomorrow from four till five, and we'll hope to get another hour on there from five to six, which obviously isn't even peak time. So it's been pretty good so far. Impossible to hit on site, as you can imagine. Um, but yeah, no issues so far, but expect it to get a little bit worse. Does it does it make much of a difference to you as a player not not being able to get onto a match court in those you know those days leading up to it? Well, only if the courts are different, which uh, unfortunately they they tend to be, and I'm not sure the reason for that because obviously it's all hard courts. Um, you'd expect them all to be quite similar, but invariably they're they're, they're not. And yeah, we, we noticed me and my partner Francisco Cabral noticed that the courts at Albert Park might be a little bit quicker than the ones that are on site. Uh, which we hit on for the first time yesterday. So, yeah, there's a little bit of difference, but everyone's in the same boat, so you can't complain too much. How much are there happy memories coming back here from last year? You obviously got to the second round. Was that your first win at a slam that last year as well? I mean, how big does that feel, just walking around the place and feeling like you know it and feel it well? Yeah, it's nice to come back to a slam. Uh, it's the first time I've ever done it. Um, and, yeah, just not spending two and a half, three days trying to figure out where I am and not getting lost is, is quite nice. Um, so, yeah, it's nice. And obviously good memories from last year and, and, yeah, hopefully try and do a little bit better this year. 
Calvin, I always wonder with these slams, you know, that coming in, you're here early. It's not often, especially on the doubles tour, that you end up at an event a week early. Does that give you an advantage as as a coach to sort of do a bit more scouting, wind up a few more people, find out where your favourite favorite coffee is? I don't drink coffee. Um, so. <laughs> Sorry, that, that actually contravenes the terms of our sponsorship by Coca-Cola as well. Um. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's... It's just different. I think sometimes... It's good to come in early. It gives you a benefit. You know, you get used to the courts, I think, and, and the surroundings. It's not so much of a... I think it was the first time you've come to a tournament and you get there early. That can help. But, um, I mean, I don't... I think both of us would take... We'd rather still be in Adelaide <laughs> but, um, than getting a, a week's prep here. But, yeah, you know, you've got to take the positives from it. We, you know, we've settled into the, the tournament already, I think. So, we'll see how we go. And I have to ask a boring question, unfortunately, because I've asked Cam Norrie, I've asked Katie Bolter, and I've asked Jodie Burridge, what do you think of the balls, Henry? I'm told it's like, people keep saying it's like a two-tier thing, like first four games, bouncy and lively, and then just like fluff central. Yeah, so obviously it's a little bit different for the doubles players and the singles players because the rallies tend to be so much shorter. So I'm sure there's not as much difference uh, on that front. That being said... They are very lively when, when they're fresh out of the can and they, they do wear down quite a lot. So for me, the biggest issue is when the balls are changed kind of mid-match, that difference between the old used fluffy ball and the new one that's just unbelievably lively is, yeah, it's really difficult to manage, not least on a doubles court where really it's all serve and return and if you don't hit a good return, then the point's over. So it's difficult, but... Again, I mean, at the same time, all balls to some extent are quite similar uh, in that way. And I've definitely used worse tennis balls than this in the past. So, yeah, for me, for me, they're all right. It's just another another variable to try and try and manage. When we spoke about it last, Calvin, you were still in Adelaide. And I think obviously you'd been in Thailand where it was really, really humid. It is raining in Melbourne today. It's about maybe 19 degrees and it's not really been that humid this week either. So are they a bit better here? I mean, yeah, the, the, the condi- they're holding up. I mean, they're, they're not holding up great here, but they're holding up way better than they were in Thailand. Thailand, after sort of 10, 15 minutes of play, you couldn't do anything with them. Like, there was, you know, pl- players who would serve volley regularly were, were serving and staying back because it was just too much of a risk. Um, but I think, like Henry said, that the, the main, one of the main issues is, is the change. Like, when we were practicing yesterday, like, you were returning pretty good, weren't you, Hannes? And then first ball with the new balls, like, probably about a metre and a half long, the return. <laughs> so, like, you just can't control it. It just feels like you're playing with a golf ball. But, yeah, that, you know, that we have, you know, we've got to cope with them. There's no debate about that. But I'd, I would like to see them sort it out. I didn't, they should just use the US Open ball. <laughs> yeah, I've heard a lot of people say that. that it's, just, it's just the best ball for, for hot conditions. Um, we can move on from ball talk now because I get in trouble with other journalists for asking about balls and was recently cautioned that if I asked someone about string tensions in a press conference, I wouldn't be allowed in another one. Um, so I took the advantage of asking Cam Norrie out of the press conference and he was very pleased to talk about it. Um, but anyway, I've got a few questions that have come in uh, over the last couple of weeks and actually one I think would be very interested to hear both of your kind of thoughts on. Um, it's doubles gossip, which of course is the best type of gossip. Um, and we thank Harry Heliovara for writing 5,000 words a week about it. Um, this comes from Adam. He says, hi guys, I've been enjoying the podcast for a few months now. I thought I'd send in a question that I think would be a fun discussion topic. There's been significant changes over the off-season in both the men's and women's doubles with several no 
notable or long-running partnerships splitting, uh, Krajikova Sinyakova, for example. Um, which new teams do you think look the most promising uh, and who do you think will have a strong year? Now, obviously, it goes without saying that we think Patton Cabral is the most exciting doubles partnership that has been formed over the off-season. But um, Cap... Of the off-season, though. Uh, OK, so it doesn't count. Fine. In which case, you can be completely objective in it. Um, of the new teams, Calvin, which are the ones you look at and go, yeah, that, that looks pretty tasty? Um... I think Aravalo Pavic look pretty good. Um, they've won a title this year already. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, Mektic and um, Kulhoff, who are, they've got a proven track record. I don't know if we really count them as a new team. They've won big tournaments before, and you know I think they've they basically split a couple of years ago. So Mektic and Pavic could play the, the Olympics together, and then they did so well they stuck together for a couple of years. But I know that. That was the only reason that Kulhoff and Mektic split the first time. I think they've now just got to feel they've got a bit of unfinished business to go. Um, there's a lot of new pairs doing well, though, like um, like Julian Cash and um, Rob Galloway have started the year great. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of new pairs. Yeah, a lot of new pairs doing quite well. But then there's, there's a lot of, you know, like you look at the, the final in Adelaide, that's, the, that's two, two pairs who were very well established, Salisbury and Ram and uh, Ebden and Bopana. Um, how, how hard is it, Henry, when you start with a new partner to, to really form that? Are there some teams you've played in where it's like just from ball one, you're perfect, or and some you've had to work at, or, or is it, do you have to work at them all? I think you definitely have to work, work at it. I think any doubles players that are part of a new, new partnership will, will say the same. You know, it's definitely an adjustment period. Both players will be used to their own way of doing things, their own way of practicing, and even their own way of, of playing in the match. Um, so yeah, there's definitely an adjustment period. I think for the guys that are, are kind of more experienced, so like your Aravello and Pavic, uh, who have been around for a long time, they'll they'll probably be able to gel a, a little bit easier just because they've been around for so long and they they know how to win tennis matches. Um, but yeah, I think it's unusual to just instantly kind of click. No doubt, those pairs will have been doing a lot of work over the off season and and even in practice during the tournaments to, to figure out how to, to best play with each other. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I want to get into the, the, the finding a new doubles partner, as far as I can tell, is, is a bit like finding someone to go to the ball with you. I mean, like, ju just for example, because Harry kind of, you know, blew the lid off this a bit, which made very, very small amounts of excitement in very small areas of the internet. Um, where he was, you know, listing these various people who want to play with yourself included, and um, the various people he talked to, and why he couldn't play with them. I mean, is it is it a bit like you're just texting around, being like, "Well, oh, you you moving? Are you free?" And, and and how complicated and political does that get? I'm thinking about developing like a dating app, but but for doubles players, to be honest. I mean, it is. I, I think I read a bit of Harry's article, and it literally is like two weeks of panic, just DMing everyone that you can think of hoping that they'll come back to you um, sounds like my uni dating career to be fair exactly. my, own, my own girlfriend jokingly refers to it as like dating um, so yeah it's a bit tricky it's a little bit awkward um, like, like dating is um, but yeah clearly it kind of tends to work out in the end and everyone ends up with someone 
you know. Uh, what What are the sort of top tips for for budding young doubles players out there? What What makes a good pitch to a doubles player? Do, do you have to send them like a proper like? Look, we get into these tournaments, and you know, you play Juice and I play Ad, and that works nicely. Or Or is it just like you know me? I know you. Are you up for it? I think the, li the lines always seem to be the same when I see the message. It's always like, you fancy playing this week? I think we'd be really good as a pair. Yeah. And it's like, like well, I, you haven't asked me because we didn't think we'd be really good as a pair. So, yeah. um, go on, Ennis. Yeah, I think it helps if you if you kind of know them on a personal level, whether you've played with them before or not. It helps if they think that you're a good tennis player. And beyond that, it's kind of luck of the draw. <laughs> Fair enough. And, and I always wanted to ask you about mixed, because I don't know, you've probably played a bit of mixed, I guess, along the way, but maybe not at slams. I mean, that that to me, I remember Kokonakis uh, saying, I can't remember who had asked him, one of the Chinese players, and he was like, oh yeah, she DM'd me asking to play mixed, and I just never applied. And someone said, you know, she's world number two. And he was like, ah, oh, I probably should have played with her. I mean, have you got any any appetite for mixed? Would you, would you be up for that? Have you got a come and get me plea for any women out there looking for a partner? Yeah, I mean, eager. Look, if you're listening to the podcast, which I'm sure you do, please pick me up. Um, no, the, the thing with mixed doubles is because you've got, you know, the number one in, in men's singles, men's doubles, women's singles and women's doubles potentially wanting to play. It makes the, the entry very difficult for someone like me who is ranked, I think, 70 in the world right now. Um, I would love to play mixed. It, it, you know, it looks like a lot of fun. I know. Calvin has some some interesting viewpoints on, on the mixed doubles. Uh, you know, it's a bit of an exhibition, it's quite relaxed. Um, and yeah, at the end of the day, there's there's still some 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 nice money to be won out of it. So, I would love to play mixed doubles, but Calvin's turning his nose up at the check, is he? No, you know, it's fine. I was thinking it's an ex <laughs> it's just an exhibition event. Like, I think it's what it's the 32 draw, and a third of the draw is wild cards. Like, that's not real sport. That's like it's, like, it's an exhibition. Is that, is that why you'd never play Boodles, for example? Which is, which is Boodles? Is that That's the, the XO you played, yeah. No, that was, I mean, the money was tasty. I didn't play it. <laughs> Jules and Luke played it, but the money was tasty on that. So, um, yeah. I think, no, I, th I, th I think like Henry says, it's just difficult to, like, get really excited about it because unless you're in the top 20 in the world, 30, you're probably not getting, you're probably not getting. I mean, we just literally, like, before we came here, there, there was the list that we were looking at of, people putting their names down for like looking for partners but that's just not a whole lot of value because like I say there'll be there'll be eight all Australian pairs in it at least who get in wild cards and then I think after that you've got maybe another you've got maybe another 20 places that are going to be taken up by the highest you know by the, the best players in the world and then there's probably again then about another three or four places that um, are there for you know the players who aren't there who are scraping around for somebody but that, that's the way it works. I've got one more question, and it's not doubles gossip, so you don't have to uh, you don't have to mute yourselves. Um, it's from Andy, who's a regular correspondent, uh, and thanks very much for your email, Andy. Remember, if you want to get in touch, it's tennisunfiltered at gmail.com. We love getting your emails and your DMs and everything. Um, Andy says, "Good to see George back, lurking from out the shadows again." Someone recently said George doesn't get enough credit. I, I couldn't disagree more. Um, it's because he's always in Thailand. <laughs> I mean, that's a bit rich given you came here from Thailand. Yeah, but. Eight days there. George did about three weeks in a row. <laughs> um, 
Andy says, I was listening to the discussions on the amount of players Italy had in the top 100. Calvin said one of the reasons was more tournaments held in the country, but it can't just be that. You could say the same in the WTA for the amount of Czech players. Um, what are the other reasons a country can build such a band of players at the same time? And how does that translate to the magic word, the LTA? Uh, and in what ways could they follow suit? Thanks. Look forward to listening as usual. Thanks, Andy. Um, I mean, we've always talked about how many just ha volume of tournaments in Italy. I mean, that makes a massive difference, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a futures pretty much every week, and they have so many challenges there as well. Um, that it, it does. You say it can't be the only reason. It can't, but it, it plays a massive reason just because the players can just they can basically they don't have to leave Italy, and and that can be so cost effective when you're just. I mean, challenges. You don't even have to pay for accommodation either. So you're just going to pay for your travel to somewhere else in the country, and. You know, you can, there's so many of them and they're playing it because it's a bit chicken and egg. There's so many of them because, there's, because there is so many of them that they can practice with each other and they help develop each other. And there seems to be another three or four every year that come, come through into the top 150 in the world. And I don't know where that production line ends because even now you've got guys like Bellucci and Passaro who are over in around sort of 150 and that they'll probably break in, in, the, in this year, I would think. And then there'll be another lot after them, I would imagine. Henry, as someone who's been through that system, you know, what do you think would have made it easier, or, or would have made more of you know people you know in the British system easier for them to break through? Just volume of tournaments in the UK? Yeah, I think that definitely helps, and, and I think um, you know, personally, I, I, I think the LTA, rather than taking quite a narrow approach and uh, giving financial help to you know not that many players you know for, on PSP for example I don't know how many players on that but it's I would imagine it's probably single digits maybe just double digits you know I'm a big proponent for kind of diversifying your portfolio and different players develop at different stages I was a very late developer uh, developed really in the college system um, and yeah I, I think the more players you have at, at a high level playing freshman tournaments being able to afford to play the, the better it will be um, do, do you think um, you mentioned being a late developer and developing in college there's obviously a big push in the LTA to send people to college is there too much of a push I mean you're, you, you obviously were a beneficiary of it but is there too much reliance almost on the US college system well I think now there's a big push to to get players to college um, I can certainly say when I went that there wasn't and actually I would say that it was seen as maybe a negative thing if one of the LTA players were to go to college, they were kind of giving up on the professional dream. I think now, obviously, you look at Cam Norrie and you look at the, the doubles guys like Joe, Neil, all, all of us pretty much, Lloyd, have been through that system and it's kind of tried and tested and proven itself to be effective. So, yeah, no, I, I, again, college was great for me. Um, and, and I think for the LTA, it's like a free win. You know, they don't have to pay anything. They can just send them off, keep an eye on them, know that they're getting great training, they're getting an education, which I think takes a lot of pressure off, um, and kind of pick them up when they when they come back. I mean, Calvin, I think you, you think the LTA thing is a bit of a shortcut, right? Yeah, I think, I think it's a bit of a cop-out for them because I think they figure they just don't have to have any programme for 16+. plus. The, 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 the aim is now US college, which... You know, it, it's for, for a majority of players, it is the, the right route, but there are players who, who aren't suited to it or just can't go. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's the problem. It's all right, Sam. So I, I used to coach a player who, and, and I know L, LTA coaches would say to me, like, for, 
for two years after their guy, he should have gone to American Uni. But he didn't have the quality. He, he left school when he was 14. He couldn't have gone to American Uni. That's what I kept on saying to them. He didn't have the option because he, he stupidly, he left school when he was 14. So, like, he, he just couldn't have gone, and they just kept coming back with it. And I just kept saying, you know, you need to, there needs to be something in place for these type of players. And I know that's a bit of an anomaly, but there needs to be something in place for the players who, who don't want to go. And I'm not saying that's necessarily the... What I'm talking about with that is, is a, a compet, competition structure yeah. for the, that level of player. Because I think what, what Henners will, will say is that the, the main thing with US college is just the number of competitive matches you can get within a week whereas for the same level of player there isn't that in the UK like there used to be the British tour and we're kind of getting back there now with uh, but again that's through Barry Fulcher's done a great job with the progress tour and there's the UK pro league but that then nothing to do with the LTA but there needs to be a competition structure for guys or even a British university system where the problem we're in a, in a how many matches are you playing US college Henry a week I mean you've probably got two to three fixtures a week, singles and doubles, so, yeah. Yeah, and, and in British college, you've got one fixture a week maximum, and that is probably, there's probably only six or seven unis who play, is there in the top division? Yeah, there's in the top division, I think it's six in the top, and look, I, I, I went to Durham, I, I, I played for one year in, in the British university system, which suited me, and we had a very strong team that won it, and we were all post-grads from the US and I think now if you look at the British university system the level just just isn't there really to to develop into a professional player yeah yeah and I, th I think that that's what I'm talking about there just needs to be I don't want to see us just rest, rest in our laurels and go well we'll just keep getting players to 14 and then we'll send them off to another country yeah. I don't I think that's irresponsible from any governing body to be doing that if the players choose to do that I'm more than encouraging of it, it was great for Henry great like he said for all the doubles guys Lloyd Jules Neil Neil's brother Ken they, they you know they Luke Johnson who I coach they they've all went um college tennis and they're all you know at the, at the top of the game now and Cam Norrie did it it's a couple of guys now we're doing great Paul Jubb went to he won the NCAAs it was great for all those guys because it was the, it was the best option for them but I, I just like I say I want I, I don't want resting on laurels they need to find a, um, a competition structure in the UK and let's not forget how much you got out of your three weeks in Tennessee. That was huge. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, it was. It was lived in a trailer for three weeks. <laughs> if you haven't listened to uh, the New Year's Day special, uh, getting to know Calvin Day, Calvin Beton, then I would recommend it. Uh, it's genuinely a, a very amusing hour. Just say, um, like on the, going back to the thing with Italy as well, which I forgot to mention, is I think a big thing is with them that we can't really recreate in the UK is that they play on clay courts most of the time, most of the weeks. And when you look at all those guys, like we, the three of us watched Passaro against Oliver Crawford the other day, and he's, he's quite clearly a clay court player. And it's easy to develop an identity as a player if you've got that, whereas it's difficult to develop an identity as a British player when basically you're going to have to play indoor tennis for seven months of the year minimum. And so, you know, that, that, that does help. And also clay courts help you develop your game. And, you know, so that is one benefit that they've got and Spain have got and France have got that we can't really recreate. Um, I did promise uh, our listeners that we would talk something about the Australian Open singles, uh, which is obviously what George and I did um, this morning or last night, or I can't really work out what day it is or what time of the day it is, but um, either way, we did do it. Um, so I should really, um, out of uh, loyalty to listeners, ask a little bit about, I mean, Calvin... 
you mentioned that that Sabalenka draw, I think, on the WhatsApp group, maybe the least jeopardy of any... No, the Djokovic. Uh, the Djokovic draw, I beg your pardon. I mean, what, what if he gets Murray in round three? I mean, if he got peak Murray in round three, I think that'd be a, like, that'd be a nightmare for him. But And I hope I'm wrong. I haven't seen Murray this year. And one of his coaches is a good friend of mine, so I don't want to be careful in what I say. But, you know, I think we'd all be shot pleasantly surprised if Murray gave Djokovic a, a good run for it. And he's got to beat Echeverry before he gets there as well. The, the matchup I think would be quite fun is if he beats Echeverry, Murray Monfils. What I, I said, and listeners will already have heard this, is that I'm surprised Murray and Monfils have only played seven times. Which, kind of, when you consider that Murray's played Songa about 130 times and they're basically the same age, like, I, I'm sure I saw someone tweet or say something along the lines of, I'm sure I will eventually wake up and Murray is still playing Songa in a fourth round, fifth set at about 5.30pm on the BBC. He's probably he played that, that Argentinian guy more, like, was it a cello? He used to play cello every single Grand Slam. Like, like, I think I reckon he's played him. He's probably played him about eight times. I think all eight were at Grand Slams and all in a row. I think. But um, yeah, I mean, you say they've only played what was it eight times? Murray, but seven Monfils. They'll have played a load in juniors. Yeah. I mean, they were two. I think they're the same year, or Monfils might be a year older, and they were the two best juniors in the world. So I reckon you'll, they'll be well into double figures in terms of actual matches played. And players don't see it as like you know as as. Well, in professional and in juniors, they like if you could play somebody one week in juniors and the next week in the in a futures. So you know, it's there's a fold over, but yeah. As obviously you're part of the tournament, Henry, and you're playing in a different draw. I mean, how much do you notice? Like, some people are tennis nerds, some people aren't. Do you notice? Do you, do you take interest in what's going on in the singles stuff? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I, I I'm a tennis player and, and I love playing tennis. Um, and yeah, I mean, I definitely obviously follow the Brits. Uh, that's something that, that I like to do, so I'll follow them keenly. Um, Draper in a final in about two hours, I think. Or actually, in about 40 minutes. Jack, I mean, I was surprised to see him play Adelaide, you know, the week before a guy's had some fitness issues. But probably, you know, get on a plane, maybe win his first ATP title. And his draw looks tasty. I mean, there's, you know, there's Alcaraz in the fourth, but... Fourth round would be a massive result for someone like him. Oh, absolutely. I mean, all, all I can say to that is I was obviously uh, kind of training in, in in the same place as him at the NTC over, over Christmas. Um, and while I was injured, I was at the LTA and, and he was in there as well. And he's been working unbelievably hard um, on his fitness in particular, I think. And, yeah, I think everyone's been saying for a long time, if he can get that piece of the puzzle right, then I think the sky's the limit for him. Um, and he's such a great guy as well, Drapes. I mean, for someone who's, you know, gone through the LTA system, has kind of had everything given to him and obviously has had great success, he's, he's so down to earth and humble. So, yeah, I wish the best for him and, and fully deserves everything that he's achieving right now because he's worked hard. What do you think would be success for him at this tournament, Calvin? Because, because I think we all have that really high expectation of his talent level. So... To say, oh, get to the third round, it almost feels like an under, a sort of underrating of his chances. Yeah, I, I don't think Drapes would see it that way, knowing knowing him as I've and I've known him since he was ten. Like he'll be, he'll think anything other less than winning it would would not be success. That's the way that an elite athlete thinks. I think so. I, I think he would see it as that. Like I think if he gets the fourth round, I mean, don't know. I wouldn't write off against Alcaraz. He's been close against Alcaraz a couple of times, and Alcaraz. He doesn't have much of a track record here. 
at the Aussie Open. Eventually he will. He'll win it, obviously, at some stage. But right now, I think Drapes will, will, will fancy his chances if he gets there and think, well, I've got three matches. If he's won three, if he wins in Adelaide and he wins three matches here, like you, I tell you what, with, with his serve and his ground strokes, you, you, if you're Alcaraz, you wouldn't fancy that in the fourth round. No, and a reminder that he has the fifth best backhand, a tenth best backhand on tour. And Officially. don't forget as well, it can go indoors here. Like that's that, that's a factor. If it rains and then Drapes gets Alcaraz indoors, that's that's a game changer. I think. Not necessarily. I'm not saying that he'll beat him, but I think it really levels up the playing field. I appreciate you've not been on Laver indoors, or, or I guess any of the show courts indoors, but you've been maybe. Uh, how does it change when it's like these conditions? and indoors I mean is it still lively and fast or no uh, we had a debate last week didn't we about <laughs> yeah. and Henry's got some questions about my science <laughs> <laughs> I've had a lot of questions <laughs> well I just thought I'm sure that I got told once and I've just taken it since that the air is thinner indoors than it is outdoors but you, you didn't find any conclusive evidence to the the alternative did you I think Calvin's of rubbish uh, I think basically my theory is if you play indoors you know there's no wind there's no change of conditions it's usually a, a little bit warmer or colder so it, it, it can change how the ball's moving for the, through the air but in general it, you know it favors the more aggressive player because they're they know exactly where the ball's going to be when they're serving you know when they're being aggressive from the baseline um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure about the, the thinner air the inside would and outside have, um, theory. Would you have, I know not on all indoors, would you have aircon in the indoors in like Rod Laver and that? Yeah, that would make a difference. I mean, so it varies. I mean, obviously at the centre when they shut the court, uh, roof at Wimbledon, they it'd have to take 15 minutes to recirculate the air, but it, it is more humid indoors. There's nothing you can really do about that. Um, I remember being at Roland Garros when Nadal played Zverev when Zverev did his ankle and that match was not yet into the second set tiebreak and it was two and a half hours because and I, I just remember Nadal wasn't keeping the ball in his pocket he was taking his second serve ball from the ball boys because he was soaked through I mean I, I went through two pairs of underwear in that match like it was I was just sitting there watching it was ridiculous well, I think Craig Veal told me the other day that there was some issue with Jody last year at somewhere where she was sweating so much that she was just dripping water on the court and wouldn't I think she dripped a whole puddle in front of her and then wouldn't play until she'd wiped it up and she got time violation for it and there was an argument of saying like well right you've either going to want, want me to play with on a wet court or you're going to have to give me time to wipe up the puddles and the umpire of course as they do umpires being umpires think that the game is there to facilitate the rules um they they wouldn't budge on it and you know i think there might have been a time violation or something but yeah i i, I do think it definitely changes i think i think the thing is when it when it changes mid-match and i don't, don't really there's no real sense in in this but people always assume that whatever it, it always favors the person who's losing if, if you shut the if you shut the roof and you know, I don't really see why that would be the case, but you know, maybe it's just because you're losing that any change helps you. But I think, yeah, it's exactly that. It's it's you know, it's it's like pitting for fresh tyres when when you haven't got the yeah. ability to to catch up. You just you're just hoping to. I always think about it as like shaking the boggle box. Like you yeah. just go, well, let's randomise things and, and see what happens. I I mean, if you think about Wimbledon this year, 
or uh, well, last year I suppose it is now, Jess Pagula being like a set and a break up on Marquette and Vondrusova, they shut the roof and it just all goes to pieces. Um, in fact, when you look at Jess Pagula's luck at Grand Slams, like French Open, she got food poisoning from oysters. Wimbledon, that happens, which is a bit unlucky. Can't remember what happened to her at the US. Uh, and then she's now got GI again. Um, and so may well not be fit to play. It's brutal luck. Um, speaking of luck, when's, when's the doubles draw, chaps? Doubles draw is tomorrow at noon. Okay, that'll be... Uh, I can't do the time zone math. That's 1 a.m. if you want to stay up for the doubles draw. <laughs> it's 1 a.m. on uh, on Saturday night. Um, probably there's also some tennises getting underway. So we wish you the best of luck, of course, Henry uh, and Calvin. Um, we will do this again in two weeks' time. Hopefully we'll replace Calvin with a nice big Australian Open trophy, um, and that would be ideal. Uh, thank you very much for listening. As always, I'll be doing um, daily pods either with Calvin or George or Eleanor or God knows who uh, over the two weeks. We are... Hoping the rain goes away and hoping that it'll be brilliant sunshine and brilliant tennis. Uh, most importantly, please do vote for us in the Sports Podcast Awards. Uh, voting closes in about a week uh, and we really do have to beat Dan Kiernan this year. Um, it's absolutely essential, so uh, please do vote for us. The link is in the description. Most importantly, though, come back next time. Sports Social Podcast Network.